0: We desire that in your presence that we would not be here (sighs) focused on things other than you. God, I know that the cares of this world sometimes can be overwhelming. I know that paying our bills, dealing with taxes, trying to find a place to live, trying to succeed in our career, trying to manage our children trying to get along with our spouse. I know that those things are very difficult and those things tax us and they pull us down and they bring us away from you. In fact, Jesus even talks about the fact that the cares of this world will pull many people away from God. But Father, I pray that here in your presence this morning, that that will not be the case. That this morning can be a morning of a new beginning. This morning can be a time when we rededicate our lives to you and you, by your spirit, reinvigorate our lives by being called according to your purpose, by listening to what you want us to do with our lives. Father, so often our lives are focused on what we want and what we need, the selfish ideal of a human. But God, you call us to something bigger and something greater. A life that has meaning and purpose. That meaning and purpose comes solely through you. And God, that's what we desire this morning. That as we sit in your presence, that we would know you, that we would relate to you, and that we would follow you. Father, one of the ways that we can do that this morning is to be able to just go to you and take all the things that we have in our lives. that doesn't need to be there. Any sin, mistakes, errors brokenness, selfishness, hatefulness that's in our hearts. Just take it to you, ask for forgiveness for it. Bring it all out, get the junk all out of the closet. Go to you and ask for forgiveness. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually, to go to you, God, and to make forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, to make things right. Let's do it now. we want the junk in our lives to be gone. Sometimes we don't even know what the junk is. You know, we go into our lives and we look and some things don't look so good, but we want to hold on to them because we feel like it's not junk or it's our junk. But you don't want that. You want us to get rid of it. So Father, I pray that we would do that today, every other day that we go through life. Father, we thank you that you have brought us here this time, that we can be in your presence, that we can be challenged from your word to live according to the calling and the purpose that you have for us. Father, we thank you that you didn't just create us, put us here with no objective, no purpose, nothing to do, but Father, that you gave us a great calling because of what your son Jesus has himself done. Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be in our lives, equipping us, So we're going to talk about this morning, equipping us and helping us to succeed in the ministry that you have planned for each of us. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are in part two of the "Dying to Serve" series, and looking forward to talking about that. "Dying to Serve" that's the topic, that's the issue that we've been dealing with over the last week, and we're going to deal with this week. It is really a sub theme of our annual theme. Um, every year we have kind of an annual theme. It's a sort of a un. It's not unspoken, but it's what do you call it? Like a, below the surface kind of thing. And this year we've been talking about what? What's kind of our annual theme this year? Not being a lukewarm Christian because being a lukewarm Christian does not put us in good stead with God. It doesn't put us in good stead with our spouse. It doesn't put us in good stead really with anything. It just makes us sort of Obnoxious to the world because the world then just uses us as examples of hypocritical religious people who go to church So lukewarm Christianity won't really work But we're going to talk today about this issue of dying to serve dying to serve what that means what God is calling us to do In our service to God so our four-week series is why ministry is a must I know having pastored in mega churches, having pastored in small little rural churches, having pastored in urban churches and suburban churches, having a really good breadth, I guess I would say, of experience that most Americans, probably most Christians everywhere, but most Americans, certainly most American churches are filled with people who consider ministry to be optional. They consider attending to be important, and they consider being a good person to be important, but they consider ministry to be something that's optional or something that's left for professional pastors or professional people. But far be it for me to totally disagree with that, but that's what we're going to do. Um, Simply because the idea of there being a professional pastor or professional ministry, the idea that every person doesn't have a role is not an idea that was ever a God-given idea. That was a hierarchical idea that has come into our society because of a variety of reasons that we won't talk about today. But why ministry is a must. Why every single person must be involved in ministry and doing something for the kingdom? We could argue, as we did last week, and we'll do a recap in just a second, but we can argue very strongly from the Bible that if we're not involved in ministry in some way, we really have no part with God. We have no part with his kingdom because you cannot just simply believe things and then not take action on things. That is, I guess, the root of hypocrisy and also the root of the problems in our church today. Uh, certainly that's a big root of the problems. Our four-week series in why ministry is a must. Why ministry is absolutely critical for all of us. Here's our strategy. Let's break it down. Last week, we talked about why we must serve. And and I gave you a really strong argument of why we must serve. Um, It affected me. I hope it affected you. If you weren't here last week, you definitely should check out the podcast. Although, because of the week I've had, it's not up yet. But I'm going to do everything I can to get the podcast uh, for last week up for last week and the podcast for this week up uh, also before I leave on Monday. Um, and so the thing is, is that why we must serve. Let's talk about what we talked about. We looked at the very simple passage at the end of John where after, G, after Peter denies Jesus three times, you guys remember right before the crucifix, cruci, Wow, crucifixion, Peter denies Jesus. So then Peter has a chance to meet Jesus again after the resurrection, after he's risen from the dead. And he meets him and they have breakfast together. And what happens? Does Jesus welcome him back into good graces? Yes. But only after a conversation takes place. If you guys remember from last week, the conversation is what? Is that Jesus asks him, do you love me? To Peter. And Peter says, you know, I love you. And then Jesus says, what? Well, good. I'm glad we have that conversation, right? Is that what Jesus said? If you were here last week, No. What does Jesus actually say? Then feed my sheep. And three times they have that conversation. Why? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter felt the denials and he would not forget that conversation. Jesus doesn't say, just love me and that's good enough. Nowhere does that idea in the Bible anywhere. But yet in the American church, we take that as the gospel, quote unquote, because we feel like all we just need to do is believe the right doctrine and go to the right church, and sit in the pew, and everything else will be fine. But that is not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we are not involved in building up God's kingdom, then really we don't have a part in His kingdom. We're going to talk about that why a little bit more this week. Last week, though, I gave you a chart. I don't like charts. I hate charts. Charts are like those things that make you fit into a block. But this is what we talked about last week, right? We talked about the fact that when we look at our lives, if this is the monthly activity... For, this is by hour. For an average ministry volunteer in the average church, we spend this much time, what? Serving our boss in a given week, in a given month. Sorry, this is a monthly average by hour of the average person who d- volunteers one time a month in nursery. Okay, here's your boss. Here's serving yourself, TV, all that good stuff, video games. Here's everything else that doesn't, like commuting, stuff like that doesn't fit into a block. Here's serving your family, and that's just giving you, as I mentioned last week, a bonus because most people don't serve their family this long. This is the one I hate, as I mentioned last week, sleeping, eating, and hygiene, right? I mean, if I could just sleep one hour a day, that would be awesome. Why do we need to spend this much time sleeping, hygiene, eating? Those are both good, okay? I don't want to, at first service, I was like, this is all bad. And I thought, in second service, wow, people would think I'm against eating or hygiene, right? No, I'm not against those things at all. But we talked about last week of a monthly average, what is ministry? Serving God right here. See that? Nothing. Nothing. How can we claim to be followers of Jesus if that's how much time per month that we put into doing anything related to God? That's a serious question. That's a question that we must ask ourselves. Last week, I argued that we must be involved in service and just serving a sliver of our lives is not enough. It's not enough. When you stand before God, you don't want to offer him a sliver. If, By the way, if this is how much time you spent with your family or your wife, would you consider that a success? How many of you think that would be a success? So how many think that that's a success when we spend only that much time with God? It's not a guilt trip. It's just a fair question. How many of us think this is fair and a definition of success if this is what we do with God. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk today a little bit about how to serve. Now, I know with all the disparate people in our church, um, through all three services, crazy different backgrounds, crazy different socioeconomic situations, all over the board generationally, Um, it's really impossible for me to nail it down to one or two definite things. But let's talk a little bit about how to serve and what it will mean for us as we are trying to say, okay, ministry is a must. We must get involved in ministry. See what the Bible says? Uh, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. If you want to open up your Bibles there, that'd be awesome. You have an iPhone. You can do you version. You can check it out there. I'm going to have a paper Bible, the old-fashioned one here. It'll be up on the Jumbotron as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. All right. While you're opening, I'm going to open too. Or while you're looking up on your iPhone, then you can do that as well. Um, let me just look here. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Long passage, but a good one that explains a little bit about what it means of how we serve. Okay, let's see what the Bible has to say here. First Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. This is Paul speaking. Now, we have to remember this. Uh, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read the Bible sort of mosaically, which means that we read a passage here, and then we read a passage over here, and read a passage over here, and we read, like, Proverbs here, and the Gospel of Matthew here, and Psalms here, and they're talking about different issues, but we try to smash them all together in our brains, right? It'd be like if we went to school one day, and we had, you know, first grade English, and the next day we had, like, high school algebra, and the next day we had middle school geography, And it would be very convoluted in our minds. And that's one of the difficulties of reading the Bible. 1 Corinthians, and this passage that we're going to deal with here, deals with a very specific situation in a very specific church. Okay, So it is not unlike what we are talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is a very specific situation in a very specific church. Our church, and us trying to be the people of God, and try to be involved in ministry, and take hold of being successful in the kingdom... Because we are putting the time and energy we need to into, into serving God. Let's see what Paul has to say here. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Body of Christ is a metaphor for the church. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. By the way, in verse 13 he talks about how there's different socioeconomic and different uh, ethnic backgrounds and all that kind of thing in the church in Corinth as well. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. So in other words, just because you say, well, I've only been in church for a while, I don't really know what to do, it doesn't make you any less of the church. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? In other words, if we were all the same people, it would be a boring and bland place. I mean, could you imagine everyone being just like you? Some of you might be like, that'd be really cool, but not so much because it would be kind of boring. Maybe if you're like totally narcissistic, you would think that would be good, but I don't know. I'm just kidding. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Or like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, the the eye can never say to the pancreas, I don't need you, right? Because even the parts that we don't see or the parts that are not out there are still important parts of the body. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Now let me just put this in ancient world context. Because Paul is taking an idea that was somewhat common among Greek philosophers. And it was this idea, which, but he turns it on his head, as oftentimes the Bible does. Because the Greek philosophers would argue that the head was the only important part of the body. Or other parts, maybe the hands, the head. Certain parts were the only important parts. And there are actually parts of the body that were bad and you know undesirable. And, and they used that as a metaphor to say that if you were an, a, a part of the elite class, in other words, you were a king, you were a philosopher, then you were worth something. But if you were like the pancreas, and you were just a servant, or you were just a farmer or something like that, then you need to do what pancreases do, which is shut up and farm, or shut up and serve. That's what you were supposed to do. You weren't a hit, so don't act like a hit. And there was a lot of uh, Greek philosophers that talked about this and the importance of the lower classes being lower class and the elite people being elite people. Obviously... The Bible doesn't view elites as being important. The Bible views every single person as being important. So Paul takes this idea that was popular in the culture, totally spins it around and says, no, 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 you missed it because every part of the body has a function designed by God just as every person in the church has a specific function. You can sit there today and argue with me in your mind and say, I don't have a function. God didn't make me to do anything or create me to do anything in the church, but that would not be true. So, If one part, uh, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. Then he goes into a long list about different examples that was really popular in the time of the Corinthian church. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So in other words, whatever gifts are needed in that time and period, that is what you should desire. Two ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. If you want to look in your bulletin, there's some handout there. And you can fill in the blanks if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person. Number one is this, is that two ideas, are really two issues that are involved with us Figuring out how to be involved in ministry, how to serve. Number one is that we all have a part in serving. I cannot emphasize this enough. And I know that some of you are so conditioned by church culture. Which church culture can be good, but it can also be really bad. So conditioned by church culture and your culture at large. Which says that you don't really have a part to play. That there's really nothing for you to do. You're too old. You're too young. You're too educated. You're too overeducated. You're too inexperienced. You're too new. You're too female. You're too male. You're too whatever. It doesn't matter. If we want to get anywhere as a church, to really be the people of God as God intended for us to be, we have to recognize that every single one of us has a special gift and we all have a very important part in serving. We all have a place. We all have a mission. We all have something that God has designed for us to do. Every believer has a special purpose within the body. Every one of us has something that God has specifically given to us that we can do. How many of you believe that you can do everything very well or better? How many of you feel that you're excellent in every single thing you do? Anybody here feel that way? Kirk, do you feel that way? No, he doesn't feel that way. Let's just pick on me, for example. There are some things that I feel I do very well, but there's other things that I'm poor at. You guys know, and it, part of it's because of my background, and part of it's because of the life experiences I had before God called me into ministry. But I am not the most empathic, sympathetic person. If you've ever been around me for a while, you know that I just don't have the ability to relate to people's emotions like I wish I did or like a lot of other people do. Now, fortunately, I married someone who was the totally opposite of me, and I think she could uh, relate and be empathetic to anyone that God ever created in this world. But that's the beauty of us all working together because things that I'm not strong at, other people are strong at. Some of you are out there and you'll say, well, you know, I don't really get this because, you know, pastor can can talk and he can preach the gospel and he can share the gospel and he can explain the gospel. And I can't do any of that. But what people don't realize a lot of times is that every believer has a special purpose within the body of Christ. And that special purpose you have, they help each other and they work together with each other. I can't speak on Sunday morning unless there's at least 40 or 50 of you doing things during the week to make this even happen. And this is for an average-sized church. I mean, when you go up to a larger church, you have even more people that's a necessity to make things happen. A lot of those people do things behind the scene that you would never see. Meaning you, meaning the average person who comes to BBC. But it doesn't mean that it's not important, that it's not special. Every believer has a special purpose within the body of Christ. In fact... Let me just say it this way. If you're not involved in ministry, the result is that you are messing it up, not just for you, but for everyone else too. This is the idea that Paul is talking about here. Don't miss this because he says, listen, I'm on the wrong page. Here we go. He says, listen, the human body has many parts. The body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I can't do this, the, uh, the ear says, I'm not this body part, would it make any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? What would happen if the pancreas just... And I know this is a really bad joke, but I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. If the pancreas just stopped pancreating for one day, would that be good? Would that be bad? What if the eyes just said, I'm not going to be an eye anymore. I'm not going to do it. The result is it messes it up for the eyes and it messes it up. I don't know where the pancreas is. I know it's somewhere in this part, right? The, it, what if, you know... Somebody, this medical, help me out here. Uh, Pancreas, if the pancreas just said, I'm not going to be a pancreas anymore. Not only does it mess it up for itself, because it's missing the blessing of being a pancreas, it's missing the blessing of being the eye, but it also messes it up for everyone else too, right? Because this pancreas is not pancreating for everyone else. The eye is not seeing for everyone else. This is why churches and pastors spend a lot of time on trying to get people involved in ministry. Because we know that without everyone serving, the church will never be complete. And it will never be able to function the way that God intended it for it to function. Why? Because half the body parts are just sitting in the back or in the front or whatever, doing nothing for the kingdom. So that is why it's absolutely critical that when we become a believer in Jesus, that we accept Jesus as our Savior, that we not only accept Him, not only believe in Him in our heart, in our mind, but also that in sorry mind and heart but also that we are actually doing something about it that we are actually involved as well and so when we talk about this issue it's critical that we understand that doing is a part of the gospel that believing is a the most important part but doing is equally an important part it's kind of like saying you cannot believe without doing but you cannot also do you cannot do without believing But you must also do as well as believe as well. And James makes that really clear when he says faith without works is dead. And the problem is there's lots of churches in America that are dead, not because they don't have faith, but because they do not have the works, they do not have the ministry that James is talking about here. Okay, so here's the thing. Steps to serve. Four steps we're going to talk about today. Number one is this one. is that Number one, we must understand that God wants you to serve. We must be honest with ourselves and have this conversation. You know, I think that when I do a message on Sunday morning, I would be willing to bet that the two types of services where most people tune me out, number one is anything financial. There's going to be a swath of people, doesn't matter what church it is, who are just going to tune me out. Pastors talk about money. I don't care. Right? There's the mute button. Like in that movie, uh, Click, where the guy tries to mute his family. You guys got me on mute. I know my kids, my wife probably would want to have me on mute too. Sometimes. But don't mute me on this, because when we talk about this issue, somewhere in your heart, it's got to pierce your heart that God wants you to serve in ministry. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you've sat in a church for 60 years where they've told you don't serve. I mean, let's be honest. Can we just be honest for a second? And I may not be this honest with Second Service, but a lot of you come from church backgrounds where you're taught to do what? Go into church. Take the thing, eat the thing, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, and then leave. And that's what your taught church is. Can we be honest for a second? That's true, right? I know because many of you have confessed that to me. But that's not the design for church that God intended. A design for church that God intended is people working together. There wasn't supposed to be a hierarchy. I'm not someone who is supposed to be put up on a pedestal. I'm just like you. At the same time, I have a specific function within the church that's an important function. But so is the pancreas. So is the little pinky. So is the hair follicle. So is whatever body part that you want to pick. It has its purpose as well. Steps to serve, number one, is understand that God wants you to. I don't know, because I don't think any pastors ever solved this, I don't know what makes a person who doesn't serve go to serve. I, I don't know what it will take. I don't know if it's an electrical bolt to your head or your brain or you know your heart or something you know getting struck by lightning I don't know if it's me yelling at you. no, I know that doesn't work I don't, I mean I don't know what it is except realizing that service is something that God requires of you if you call yourself a believer in Jesus. Now, understand that God wants you to serve that's step number one. all right let's, talk, let's move on. Often the only way to figure out your gift is to use it a lot of people when we talk about service and we talk about serving in church, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, pastor, um, I don't speak like you. Um, I'm just a computer tech. I mean, the church doesn't need computer techs, uh, wrong. Actually, it, it really does. We, we always are short technical people, especially in this, in our society today, technical people are always useful, but I just use it as an example because Uh, The problem is, is that we devalue ourselves before God because we say, God, we're not worthy of serving you. We don't have anything to offer. But what God desires from you is not for you to make up something about yourself, but just simply to look into your heart and ask God what he wants you to do. Remember, it's not about you. It's about other people. It's about God. What is God calling you to do? Now, there are situations where I can help and Hillary, our our volunteer coordinator, she can help find the right position for you. But often the only way to figure out your gift is to use it. Let me give you an example. A long, long time ago, and some of you may get this joke, some of you may not, but a long, 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 long time ago, I was what they used to call back in the old days as a youth pastor. They call them student ministries pastor now. But way back then they called them youth pastors. And youth pastors did what? Well, they basically work with a high school group and the middle school group. And I was a youth pastor at a little country church in rural North Carolina that was as backwards as backwards can be. But I mean, that was, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was really tough. And I took that church because no one, I was really excited because no one had ever wanted to go there to be the youth pastor. They, had, they hadn't had a youth pastor in like over 10 years. And they were desperate for a youth pastor. And so I thought... Uh, Why don't I take the one that's the challenge? All the other ones, they've got a lot of people interviewing. I'm the only candidate here. They're desperate. Okay, as a general rule, not a good idea, (laughs) okay? I didn't know that at the time, but I thought, good challenge. I'll I'll try it, but anyway, uh, I guess I've always done that in a lot of ways. Okay, here's the thing. I was not a very good youth pastor. I just wasn't. Now, when you're a young, single male, just out of, just going through seminary actually at the time... They're not going to call you to be a senior pastor of a megachurch. It's not going to happen. So you're very limited in the types of ministry positions that are available to you. So a lot of times people become youth pastors, young men do, because they don't really have any other options if they want to get paid and do ministry. But I was not a particularly good one. The only way I knew I was not going to be a good one was to try it and find out that I wasn't going to be a good one. A lot of times we learn things by trying it. The thing is, for you, it's even easier. Let's say Hillary or I ask you to be a greeter. Okay? You may say, well, I don't know if it's going to be a good fit. Try it one week and find out. If you don't like it, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. This is a high feedback church. You're not going to offend me in any way. I promise you. Well, if you talk bad about my mama, you'll offend me. (laughs) But, although I probably won't say anything to you, unless it's like egregious. But if you tell me, look, being a greeter is not a good fit for me, fine. I mean, we got to have some greeters, don't get me wrong. But it may not be a good fit for you, but try it and then find out. If it doesn't work, try something else. The beauty of being in the body of Christ is because God wants you to keep trying things until you find the thing that fits. Listen, the hand is one of the examples that Paul uses. But the hand doesn't start out life being the hand, does it? Well, actually it doesn't, and I'm going to argue with you why. My son Wyatt has a hand, okay? He has two hands. But when I throw him the football, those hands turn into jello, and he doesn't catch the football. That's what happens. So I have to train him how to use his hands to catch a football. Not stone, not gel. We want flexible. That's the way you catch a football, right here. So the thing is, is that... That has to be taught. That has to be trained. For him to use his hands in that way, he has to learn how to do it. Now, some guys will just learn on their own. Maybe they'll just play enough and they'll just kind of figure it out. But you can also teach that as well. You could teach the hand to be in hand and catch a football. You could teach other things, parts of your body, to do the parts of the body that they're supposed to do. Some of them, like breathing, the esophagus just works. I don't know why. It just does. Some of people will be naturally talented at this, that, or the other, Right? Like Mike, naturally talented on piano. He just does it. Ramir, naturally talented in music. They just do it. That's like breathing for them, I suppose. But for a lot of us, it's not the same way. We just have to try it until we succeed. Often the only way to figure out your gifts is to use it. There is nothing wrong with trying. Don't be afraid to try. At BBC, we want you to try. We want you to try to be in service. If you say to me, Pastor, I was coming from another church where they told me to shut up and sit down and never do anything... And you're right, I hear you, God's calling me to do something, I have no idea what it is, awesome. All you need to do is just let me know that, let Hillary know that, tell her what you, you know, we'll ask you some questions about what do you like to do, what do you do for fun, and then just try some things until you find a good fit for you. And you'll find that over time, you'll find something that really energizes you. Why? Because God created you as a part of the body. He created something special inside of you to do something special for other people. For all those people who, like me, are not good with youth, great. Because there's a dozen of you or more who are good with youth and want to work with that age group and love that age group. So steps to serve number two is this. Number one, we've got to understand what God, God, that God wants you to serve. If you don't have a heart to serve, then, well, let's do, it, let's do it our annual way, right? You might be a lukewarm Christian if you don't have a heart to serve. That would be a good sign of being lukewarm. If you have no desire to be involved at all in ministry in any way, it's a very bad sign for your life. Well, for your spiritual health. Let's put it that way. The body is not breathing. <laughs> the body is not working. Number two, understand God wants you to, and number two, figure out your ministry. God did not create me coming out of my mama's womb speaking and teaching on Sunday morning. I'm just going to use me as an example here. I don't like using use me as an example, but I will just for this morning. I didn't even want to do anything with the church when I first went to seminary. When God first called me to seminary, I said, I'll go to seminary, God, but I am not going to be a pastor in a church. You can forget it. I'm never going to do that. And then I kept trying things and God changed my heart. Some of you are saying... I'm never going to help out in church. Well, I pray that you won't stay like that. I pray that God will change your heart because God does have something special for you. Let me just mention, last week I highlighted nursery, but let me highlight greeters. Every Sunday morning, because we live in an urban area, we get tons of guests every single Sunday, based on our size, tons based on our size. We get tons of guests every single Sunday, many of whom have never been in a church before or who are scared to come into a church or or just afraid that this is going to be like some kind of cult thing, or we're going to be weird, or whatever it is. They come in with bad marriages. They come in with terrible weeks. They come in with struggles in their lives. I am positive in Silicon Valley that our greeter is probably the only person who says to them, Hi, how are you? I hope you're well. And means it that whole week. For a lot of first time people. Maybe for a lot of our regulars as well. Because we live in a world where people don't care about other people. So when you actually have someone who can genuinely care about someone else. Who they don't know or don't know very well. That's something special. By the way that comes from God not from ourselves. But even a greeter is so significant a part of the body. I mean I asked Seth to be our, one of our 11 o'clock greeters right? And he was like, Why me? You know, and I had some reasons why, and we won't which we won't go into here in first service. You know, I mean Seth is a 30 year old physicist at Stanford who works with lasers and robots all day long. He's like, Why me be a greeter? But you know what? The ability to be blessed and bless others with a not just a superficial hi, how are you? But a real love for other people is quite significant. Even though it's easy to think of the greeter and make fun of them, to think of them as just being some happy, smiley person who greets us on Sunday morning. But instead, someone who is really extending the love of Christ to people who need it. People who need it. Figure out what your ministry is. Telling me you don't have a ministry is not going to cut it because I know you're lying to yourself and I know you're lying to God. And I don't want you to do that. You have a ministry, you just got to figure out what it is. By the way, you don't want to die. You don't want to pass from this world and never do anything for the Lord. Even if he does let you into his heaven, which I think would be at least Francis Chan would say no, I would say yes by the hair of your chinny chin chin, maybe. But you don't want to have such an impoverished life where you never love someone because God loved you. Where you never serve anyone because God served you first and you didn't do anything with it. By the way, there's a parable in the Bible. Does anybody remember? It's the guys who get the money from the king, and they dig, a, and they're told to invest it. And what do they do? They dig a hole and they put it in the hole, right? <laughs> I mean, how many of you put your 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 cash and your gold bullion in your mattress instead of the bank? That's the same thing. We don't do that. All right. Lastly, let's move on. We must serve according to need. This is really important because we got to understand that serving is according to need. You know about a couple of years ago, a lady came into our church. She was coming from another church. And she said, pastor, I've got a great ministry for our church. I want to channel spirits if that's okay. And I said, well, you know, I, don't know. I think the Bible kind of precludes that. And she's like, but we're going to do it for good. We're going to channel spirits for Jesus. And I'm like... No, I, I think you're missing the point here. She got mad. She threw a fit. I mean, she really got really mad with me uh, one Sunday after service, threw a massive fit, temper tantrum, because I didn't, wasn't going to let her channel spirits for Jesus. Beyond the fact the Bible says that's uh, wrong um, and not good, the bottom line is, is that what good does that do to the least of those? I mean, is that going to improve our is that going to help our church? Are we going to reach people for Jesus that way? Are we going to care for our members that way? Or are we going to, I mean, I don't know, probably not. So when we talk about serving, we talk about ministry. We always want to be focused on doing things that will make a difference. How many of you, and this is what goes into church. Let me, let me just move on and then we'll ask this question. Often the greatest needs are the most honored in ministry. And Paul talks about this here. Let's, let's pick this back up and then I'll use my example. But each of our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. Which means if you're here at BVC today, and you're alive, meaning you're breathing and kicking, then God put you here for a reason. You're a part of this body, and there's something you're supposed to be doing. And if you're not doing it, you're messing it up for you, and you're messing it up for other people as well. Because you're not doing that which God created you to do. Alright, but our bodies have many parts... In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And then Paul talks about this contrast between these parts of the body which seem unimportant or seem less honorable and the ones that seem more honorable and about how they work together. So God put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to these parts that have less dignity. Here's one of the things that happens sometimes in church. How many of you went to school? I'll just keep it neutral. How many of you went to school? All of us went to school, right? How many of you ever had a teacher who gave you busy work while you were at school? Does anybody, everybody know what busy work is? In other words, it's non-essential stuff that they want you to do just because they want to keep you busy. So a teacher, instead of teaching, will say, why don't you just go write your name 800 times in a notebook? Has you guys ever experienced that? I think everybody has experienced that at some point or time or another. How does that make you feel as a person? Does that make you feel valued or less valued? Less valued, right? I mean, it basically says that your time and you as a person have no value to me. I hate busy work. I mean, when I say I hate busy work, I mean I hate busy work with a passion. If somebody gave me busy, like if Chuck tried to give me busy work, I'd be like, no way, not gonna happen. Not gonna do it, because I just totally, I hate it. I hate busy work. So here's the thing. One of the mistakes churches make is to try to give people busy work. We don't want to do that. We want you to ask God what God created you to do rather than base it on just moving pieces around on the board. Let me give you an example. Often the greatest needs are the most honored in ministry. There is always things that need to be done with kids and with children. Not everybody's gifted with kids and children, right? But those are often the most honored part of ministry. Why? Because those are the ones who need it the most. You know, in some fat cat megachurches, you know me, I'm not against megachurches, but in some fat cat megachurches, they have whole, pe- whole teams that are, that are designed to serve the pastor. And I can see where the, uh, as the church grows, although none of the large churches I ever worked in, that was true. But they do, they, they do exist. They do exist. And I can see where his church grows. You know, the pastor has specific needs, and and then sometimes that can come into play. But the pastor is not the most honored part of the body. Let me say that again. The pastor is not the most honored part of the body. The pastor, if we read the Bible carefully, is the least honored part of the body in at least one very significant way. Why? Because Jesus says that the first will become last, and the last will become first. And so the idea that the person that's on the pedestal is the one who we're supposed to focus on is not the case. You know who the people that we should be focusing on the most in our church, as far as ministry goes, is the least of those among us. The body parts that are the not honorable ones. And by the way, when we talk about honorable ones, remember the context I was sharing earlier. In the ancient Greek society, the honorable ones were the elite, the rich, the super special people. The, other, the dishonorable ones were the slaves, the servants. And Paul says, wait a minute. Slaves and servants, they're the ones who have just as important a role to play as the elites. As the rich, as the famous. When we look in our church, who are the people that are the most honorable people? It's the poorest among us. It's the weakest among us, which in our situation largely involves children. Children. It's the people that struggle through life. Those are the ones that we should love the most and serve the most. Again, I mentioned this last week, no church should ever have to beg for people to be volunteered in kids' ministry. But yet every year, every church in America that I know of, certain statistically, 99% on When September rolls around, actually usually before September, July and August, the pastor, the children's pastor, they get up front and they beg and they beg and they beg people to serve in kids' ministry. But the irony is that that is the least among the people in the church. And they're the ones that we should serve the most. Because they're the ones who need us the most. You know, I'm a guy. If you didn't know, male, father... And so as a man, a lot of times when the kids are screaming, my first reaction is to do what? Just let them scream. Right? Just, just, just let them do it, you know, to my wife. If I'm doing something, I'm just like, just, you know. My wife's like, no, and jumps up and, you know, nurturing the children. And that's important because nurturing is really important. And we have a huge opportunity to nurture the children that are in our church. And yet, as a, as a whole, BVC has failed in that area over the years. It's never succeeded. I mean, if we rate ourselves, you know, we get some A's and B's. I mean, every church is honest. Every church is going to have A's, B's, C's, D's, F's. But one of our struggles has been in the area of children's ministry. We have never even gotten A or B in children's ministry, I think, ever since the founding of this church that I know of. Ever. Now maybe we go back 30 years, maybe we get a better score, I don't know. But certainly in, in the remembrance that I can remember, or that many of you can remember. We're failing in this regard because the body is not being the body. The body is just being sitters, but sitters is not what God wants. Often the greatest needs are the most honored in ministry. We should feel good about ministering to the least of people in the church because that is what God wants us to do, because they're the ones who need it above all else. Steps to serve number three is this. Make sure you fit a need. God's not calling you to channel dead spirits. He may not be calling you to kids, but he's calling you to do something. And somehow, that, that something they's calling you to do is going to be able to fit a need within the church. Or if you have a, a larger ministry vision, if you're ministering also outside the church, like a crisis pregnancy center, or in a Namaska mission, like Dennis does and, and Selena does in Nicaragua, or Art does in the Philippines, whatever God is calling you to do, that's where you need to find it. That's where you need to do it. But you're only going to find that by experimenting. Okay, only by trying are you going to get there. Lastly, real quickly, the Holy Spirit equips you more than you realize. I know that the biggest excuse you're going to give me is you don't know what to do because you can't. God didn't make you to do anything. You're just a whatever. I'm just a plumber, pastor. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. But you are misunderstanding what God wants to do in your life. It's not that you are in your own power going to serve other people. Why? Because your selfishness, as the Bible talks about, your selfishness, your sinfulness is too great. You're not going to naturally do that. It is only the power of God working your life that will equip you and the Holy Spirit will equip you more than you realize. What does equip mean? What is that right there? Anybody know what that is? We're in football season now, right? That's right. Shoulder pads, uh, cleats, helmet. And that's the equipment you have to wear if you're going to play. A lot of church people think that the equipment that they've got is just the equipment that they've got. But it's not. The Bible says that God is the one who will equip you and give you, more specifically, the Holy Spirit is the one who will equip you to serve His purpose. So if you want to serve, a big part of it is going to God and asking Him to provide you with the right equipment so that you can do the things that He has asked you to do. You're only going to find that out by experimenting. The only way you're going to find that out is to go through it and try a couple things yourself. Steps to serve. For everyone here, number one, understand that God wants you to serve. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what kind of excuses you got. I don't care if you're a failure at everything you've ever tried. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be involved. Number two, figure out your ministry. Just try things until you succeed. Number three, make sure you fit a need. And number four, ask God to equip you and he will do it for the right ministry for you for your life. So here's the question. The question is, you guys have to decide whether you're going to remain lukewarm for the rest of your lives or whether you're going to embrace the calling that God has for you. God didn't create you here on this planet to be a software engineer. He didn't create you on this planet to be a plumber. He didn't create you to be a nurse or a financial executive. Those things are nice and good and you need to do them. Having a job is absolutely critical. You must have a job. It's really important. But He created you for something more than that. What is it? And far be it for you to go through your whole life and never know why God created you and put you on this planet. What a sad statement that would be. And I pray for all of you here, I pray that none of you would be in that category and all of you would seek out to know what God made you for and that you would take hold of it and embrace it. Don't let the world, don't let the enemy whisper in your ear and say that you're not, you can't do it, you don't have gifts, you don't have skills because it's a lie. Stop believing the lie and take hold of the promise that God has for you. Let's pray.